We hope you enjoy this message from Matt Bruce, recorded at Equippers Church, Dunedin. For more information, please visit equipperschurch.com. Wow, how good was um, the word this morning from Pastor Will? Wow, I just want to honor that word. It was so good. I think Moz Girl was going off. The Holy Spirit was stopping by in Moz Girl this morning. It was awesome. Uh, we had such a great time. But yeah, just honor that word this morning uh, from Pastor Will. It's quite funny because I was looking on the scriptures that he was going to preach on, but he didn't get to. And um, one of them was the one I'm preaching on tonight. So um, Holy Spirit saved that one for me. <laughs> hey, we're in for a great night. Um, who loves watching someone when they're at their prime? Right, it's just something about watching someone when they're at their prime. It's like you watch Usain Bolt running the 100 and you're like, whoo, that's so impressive. You watch like Serena Williams play tennis and she's just destroying everyone. It's like, it's amazing. You're incredible. It's like um, watching Ben Smith play rugby, right? Ryan liked that one, eh? Beautiful. That's for you, Ryan. Uh, for you political people, it's like watching Jacinta Ardern just rocking it. Maybe the person at their prime is Jamie Oliver, is drizzling as Olivani and olive oil and cream fresh. He loves cream fresh. That guy just—if you've looked at his recipes, it's like always cream fresh and olive oil. Uh, it's like watching um, Kane Williamson. I'm a cricketer, so I love watching Kane Williamson bat. You guys are like who's that? Watch more cricket, people. It's the anointed sport. No, um, it's like watching Ed Sheeran. Like, who is that man? Like, that guy's so talented, right? Or um, watching Rowan Atkinson. <laughs> Him at his prime is gold. It's just so good. Um, so good. Who saw the elite athlete there, the person in their prime? Yeah, who was it? It was Michael Phelps. It was Michael Phelps, but it also wasn't Michael Phelps. There was another person who was in their prime in this video as well. And um, if you could check up the first clip there, in, or first still shot, as uh, I was going to check them up for me. It's a very slow fade. Uh, so they're in this shot, and next, next shot. And next one. And they're in this shot, and then they're in one more shot. Can you check up the last one? And they're in this shot. So, so there's someone else in these, these shots that are, that are in their prime. And you might notice a really yellow shirt. Right? This guy here. <laughs> yeah, this guy here. It's like a few pixels up here. He's a lifeguard. Right? And he's in his prime. I don't really know if you knew that, but this guy's also in his prime. Like this guy's probably beating Mal Michael Phelps right now for how in prime he is. He's just so on prime. You see, if there's one person that it's heartbreaking to watch when they're at their prime, it has to be a lifeguard in an Olympic swimming meet. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. It's like this lifeguard here, right? He would have done all his training. He would have invested so much money into getting his qualification, going through all the tests. Like this guy is proven. He's going to be in his prime. And on top of this, this lifeguard here, he wouldn't be the latest guy through the qualification. Like, hey, well done, you made it through the qualification. Go be an Olympic guard at the, at the Olympics, right? 
He'll be the top of the game. He would have. He probably. They probably had an Olympics for the the lifeguard before he got to qualify for going to the Olympics, right? So he's earned this privilege of guarding life at the most prestigious world event, and with that privilege comes the demanding role of making sure the best swimmers in the world do not drown. What a job. So good. And, and, and that ends up resulting in photos like this. So Isaiah will chuck a lovely photo up for you guys. <laughs> Just pumped to be on the job today. Rule number one of being a lifeguard, always be ready. I don't think they're looking overly ready. Hey, tonight the title of my sermon is called Overqualified, Underutilized. Overqualified, underutilized. And I want to turn to John 2, uh, verses 1 to 11, to start us off tonight. This is a great story. I always laugh when I read this story. It says this On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, oh no. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So good. The story's great because Mary calls Jesus out. <laughs> Mary calls Jesus out, and I love that. Because Jesus has been living a bit like a lifeguard in an Olympic swimming meet. Up until this point, he's just been a lifeguard at an Olympic swimming meet. You see, if you have the insider information that Mary has, you understand that Jesus has been rather dormant. He's been rather dormant. This is the Son of God, and up to this point, things have been progressing pretty normally, right? So Mary decides to call Jesus out, and I love Mary's heart here. She does what only a mother can do, and she kicks his butt into gear. Only a mother can do that. Imagine if this was me at my home and mum was like, Matt, go do the dishes. And I'm like, woman, my time has not yet come. <laughs> and then as Mary replies, Meredith says, do whatever he tells you to. And it's like, Matt, just do whatever I tell you to. I'm like, yes, step in line. Back in the day, by the way, woman wasn't such a derogatory term. Uh, so it's a bit funnier now, less funny back then. I still think it's funny. So Mary, Mary's been um, quiet for 30 odd years, right? And she's like, right, I know what God has promised me. I know God said you're his son. Uh, so it's about time you do the whole son of God thing, Jesus. <laughs> 30 years. Mary would have heard countless Old Testament readings that talked about the miracles of God, right? Of, of the miracles he performed for her relatives, for all the people in her family, the Israelites. 
So perhaps then after 30 years, she decides it's about time Jesus did the whole Son of God thing and did some miracles too. It's about time, Jesus. So Mary calls Jesus out. A crisis arises, albeit a very small one, really. It's just wine. Um, and Mary calls on Jesus. What I love is that she had 30 years, 30 years of perhaps not fully understanding the promise, the whole Son of God thing, right? So like, how does this actually work? Jesus seems pretty normal. He seems pretty normal. But she shows the faith even after 30 years, and she just says, hey, I believe Jesus can turn water into wine. Wow. Wow. She heard the promise all those years ago, and she had not let that promise depart from her heart. How cool was Mary? She got sass. I believe we're all like Mary. We're all like Mary. At least um, we hold something in common with Mary. I know most of you, all of you, would have received a promise from God, right? And it's like, um, maybe you're in a season right now where it's like, I don't understand that promise. I don't know how that promise is outworking my life. I don't know if that promise is true, right? And we're in that space where like, we don't fully understand it. See, Mary was told she was having the Son of God, and that may have sparked some serious thoughts about what that child might be like from a very young age. I think of the Incredibles. <laughs> and he got little baby Jack-Jack, and they don't think he has any superpowers. But meanwhile, he's like doing super sane stuff all over the place, and he's like catching fire, and they think he's just a normal kid. Maybe Mary was like that. Every time Mary turned away, Jesus was like, bam! And then she'd turn back, and it would be gone again, right? Right? She, Jesus was Jack-Jack. But that might have sparked a lot of thought from a very young age. Hey, this son, of, I'm having the son of God. Like, wow, what does that mean? Right? That could be incredible. So she's probably thinking, well, this child's mostly normal. So when's the whole son of God thing going to happen? I don't know about you, but 30 years sounds like a long time to be waiting. It's over six years longer than I've been alive. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't know about you, but um, when I get a promise... A week later, if something hasn't happened, I'm usually like, oh, despondent. And like, man, some days it's like 10 minutes later or whatever, you're right, right? And she's gone 30 years, 30 years. And the promise doesn't seem to be occurring. And when that happens, when the promise doesn't seem to be occurring, we can easily shut down and just go through the motions, right? I'll just go through the motions, I'll turn up, but there's not really an expectation in my heart. Like a professional swimmer, we can get caught just doing laps. Just doing life's routines. It's like, man, alarm goes off at 6.30 a.m. Wake up and put the toast in, jump in the shower, and get the kids ready, and then oh, just drive to work, work the eight hours, drive home, have some dinner, do whatever, go to bed. Alarm goes off at 6.30. Wake up, put the toast down, get in the shower. <laughs> I guess I'll go to work because I have to, and then I'll go have dinner, and then I'll go home again, and then 6.30 a.m., the alarm goes off. And we get caught just doing the laps, right? Doing day after day, the motion with no real heart behind it. In life, we can become <laughs> so proficient at doing our laps, doing our duty, our job, that we forget to call on the name of Jesus. Things begin to become mundane, but we forget to call on the name of Jesus. We begin to get weary, but we forget to call on the name of Jesus. <laughs> like Dory from Finding Nemo, we're just like, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do you do? We swim, swim, swim. Just keep swimming. Right? We're just like, man, we'll just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Oh, what do we do again? Oh, that's right, we swim, swim, swim. 
Just keep swimming. I find it interesting that in life, when things get tough, we often inform the person who's struggling or concerned to put their head back down and just power through. Hey, just put your head down and power on through. Hey, I know you're struggling right now, but just put your head down and power on through. That's our advice so often. And a professional swimmer does um, much the same. A professional swimmer just puts their head down and stares at the bottom of the pool. <laughs> lap after lap, day after day, year after year, looking at a line. Woo! Right? That's what a professional swimmer does. And if you've ever repeated something that much, I'm sure you'll understand that monotony is bound to set in. <laughs> so boredom is bound to set in if you do something that much. And we're the same. If we continue to just put our head down, monotony is bound to set in, lap after lap, day after day, year after year. Right? Are you with me? You see, but during all the troubles faced, when doing life's lap, the back and forth, back and forth, on the side of the pool <laughs> sits someone who's overqualified but underutilized. Like a lifeguard, Jesus sits on the side. He sits on the side watching our laps. And like a lifeguard, he is trained to not only hold up himself, but also others. Come on, he isn't just capable of swimming well by himself. He is proficient at swimming whilst holding up the body weight of another. And he's not only a lifeguard, but he's a lifesaver. And his lifesaver isn't this little floaty thing on the side of him. It's the fact that he would go to the cross, take the sin of the world and the greatest measure of grace we've ever seen. Jesus sits on the side of life fully qualified, but rarely called upon, fully qualified, but underutilized. Why is it? I kind of ask myself this a lot. Why is it that we humans are so obsessed with maintaining the illusion of success? We're so obsessed with it. Like, man, if I can just put a facade on and brave my face today, then that's a tick in the right direction, right? Why do we cultivate the external picture of success when really we feel inside that life's just going back and forth? Things are getting mundane. We're slipping into monotony, losing hope and joy. I'm only 23 and I've had days like that. Why are we so obsessed with maintaining the illusion of success when our cry for help has the potential to restore all hope, joy, purpose, security, peace? Our cry for help has that potential to release that. <laughs> Do you know our failure? Your failure, your failure, my failure. Our failure holds the greatest potential to meet Jesus. Our failure holds the greatest potential to meet Jesus. In Matthew 14, uh, 25 to 31, I want to read you a story about someone failing. I like how there's stories about people failing in the Bible because it's about people and people fail. In Matthew 14, 25 to 31, it says this. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Uh, by the way, if you haven't, if you don't know much about Jesus, Jesus can walk on water. <laughs> um, that's how the story makes sense. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I think he like said it like that, and then he was like, what did I just say? <laughs> Tell me to come to you on the water. What? No, I did not just say that. Put that back in my mouth. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. 
Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and called him. So good. You see, in this story, if, if Peter had stayed walking on the water the whole time, he would not have experienced Jesus' heart to rescue to the full. When Peter walked on the water, he understood that Jesus was all-powerful, able to release the impossible to him and through him. That's what he understood. But if Peter had stayed walking on the water that day, his lesson would have been complete. Well done, Peter. You walked on water. Congratulations. And it would have been a great lesson, right? I don't know about you, but if your kid comes home from school, what did you do at school today? Walked on water. Oh, well done, mate. Um, <laughs> now, it's a pretty big achievement, right? But his lesson didn't stop that day. Because as Peter lost his focus on Jesus and began to sink, only to be caught by Jesus before his head went under, Peter in that moment understood that Jesus was not only interested in Peter's success, but Jesus was closest during Peter's failing. I love that. Our failure holds the greatest potential to meet Jesus. In that moment, Peter understood that Jesus was not only interested in Peter's success, but rather Jesus was closest during Peter's failing. And from that newfound revelation that Jesus was closest with him in his failing, Peter now understood that he could risk it all. And even if he failed, his head would not go under because Jesus' hand would get there before it did. I love that. Peter learned that Jesus was a lifesaver. Jesus was a lifesaver, and because he knew Jesus was a lifesaver, Peter could get to being a risk taker, which eventually would lead to him being a world changer. So good. If it wasn't for this moment, we might not have seen the Peter we saw. But because he knew Jesus was a lifesaver, he could get to being a risk taker, which would eventually lead him to being a world changer. World changer. I love that. Michael Phelps. This one we watched win the race earlier. Um, it's so impressive, eh? I actually did a PE degree, and we have a flume where, uh, like, Michael Phelps actually came and got tested in the flume uh, there at one stage. Very hush-hush. But uh, we, ran, we, had, we did, like, a test in there, and one of our classmates who'd done swimming nationally, he got to go in the pool and swim. And at the end, they're like, John, see the pace that Michael Phelps swims at? We're like, yeah. And the guy was like, I'll be able to swim it. And the guy was, no way. He's like, you just got to hold on to this bar. <laughs> so he's just holding on to this bar, and they revved it up to, like, full Michael Phelps, like, freestyle pace. It was impressive. It was like, it was like, it was rushing so fast. This guy's impressive. Like, super impressive. I was blown away. And Michael Phelps uh, was actually the most decorated male Olympic swimmer ever. And Michael understood well the concepts of laps. <laughs> the day in, day out, head down, staring at the bottom of the pool whilst the clock moves on. He understood that very well. And he not only understood laps well, he was very good at them and got awards for how well he did them. Here's an award for how well you swam a lap. Thank you, thank you. He was very successful. But even being the most successful at laps couldn't fulfill him. Couldn't fulfill him. I want to read you an article um, about Michael Phelps that I came across a couple years ago, and I think it was incredible. Um, yeah, I'll read it to you. It says, In the months and even years leading up to this year's Rio Olympics, much of the news about Michael Phelps was bad. In September of 2014, he was arrested for driving while under the influence in his hometown of Baltimore. It seemed that Phelps' best days both in and out of the pool were behind him. But that's not how it turned out. As you probably know, Phelps carried the American flag during the opening ceremonies on Friday the 5th of August. Then as of then... As of this, of this writing, he's added five more gold medals to his impressive lifetime total, now numbering 23. 
To put it mildly, both of these were unlikely less than two years ago. As Phelps told ESPN following his announced retirement in 2012, he struggled to figure out who he was outside the pool. In his words, I was a train wreck. I was like a time bomb waiting to go off. I had no self-esteem, no self-worth. There were times where I didn't want to be here. It was not good. I felt lost. Like a lot of people seeing, uh, like a lot of people struggling with similar feelings, he self-medicated. In the immediate aftermath of the DUI, driving under influence arrest, he cut himself off from his family, other loved ones, and thought the world would just be better off without him. I figured that was the best thing to do, just to end my life. That's when a friend came to his rescue, former all-pro lineback Ray Lewis from the American football, whom Fouts considered a kind of older brother. Seeing the hopelessness and despair in his young friend, Lewis, an outspoken Christian, told him, this is when we fight. This is when real character shows up. Don't shut down. If you shut down, we all lose. Lewis convinced Phelps to enter rehab and gave him a book to read while he was there, The Purpose Driven Life by my friend Rick Warren. The book changed Phelps' life. Within a few days, Phelps called Lewis and told him, man, this book is crazy. That thing that's going on, oh my gosh, my brain. I can't thank you enough, man. You saved my life. As Phelps told ESPN, Rick Warren's book turned me into believing there is a power greater than myself and there is purpose for me on this planet. Such a cool testimony. And what I love is that Phelps had a friend that told him this is when we fight. But what I love more and what I love most is that Phelps fought not by striving but with a surrender. It's so powerful. He acknowledged his problem and booked himself into a rehab clinic. Alongside this, he picked up a foreign book, read it, and then surrendered his life to the person the book was written about, Jesus. Michael's fight was to surrender and reach for help. Do new laps like no one else knew laps. Here's a water for how well he did the monotonous behavior of swimming. But it wasn't that that gave him satisfaction in life. It was his surrender. So good. Let's get the keys up. Um, As the keys come up, I have one last idea tonight. Um, And this idea also comes from swimming. (laughs) I'm on the swimming bandwagon. I was actually quite, okay, fun story. I was actually a bit of a dark horse at swimming, so entered our school, like, swimming competitions, never done any lessons or anything, and there's this guy who'd been swimming his whole life, we're, like, 16, um, and he was, like, had all, like, the tight speedos, everything, like, oh. Um, <laughs> I rocked in in my, like, knee-length board shorts, and I was like, we got this, so we get in the pool, and, um, all the other ones, he smoked me, but in the backstroke, I bit him. And I was like, yeah, like this skinny little white boy just came in and just got in the pool and in my board shorts that had like 20,000 times more favorite than his little things, um, bit him. So that was my story. That's not the point I wanted to end on. That's not why I pulled the keys up because I thought it was going to be an emotional experience. <laughs> hey, my last point comes from... Um, comes from swimming and I pray that it speaks into each and everyone's heart. I really believe this is a significant point. I believe God's gonna move through it. Here it is. Prior to putting their head back into water, into the water, a swimmer takes a breath, right? Creating a reserve of oxygen to sustain them for the time without breath underwater. If you've ever swum, swimming along, head up, breath, back down, so you can sustain yourself. Without that reserve, you die. You pass out. And if it's anything like the Olympic, Uh, lifeguards, they look pretty bored so they probably didn't see you drowning. 
But that swimmer, they put their head up, take a breath of oxygen, creating a reserve so they can put their head back down and swim every time. And each time they put their head down, they rely on that reserve. Have you realised that in life we often live with a reserve? We often live with a reserve. And some reserves are better than others, but all are potentially inhibiting. Some reserves are better than others, but all can be potentially inhibiting. And a reserve may be like um, that holiday that brings just enough relief from the stress you're feeling so you can go a few more days. It's like, oh, I just really need that holiday because I'm really stressed out right now and that holiday is going to be the solution. Maybe tomorrow you've been banking on tomorrow's Monday for a long time. You're like, that's my reserve. Maybe it's relying on Saturday <laughs> to create a reserve to push back the drudgery of the other six days. It's like, I hate my life for six days, but at least I've got Saturday. Maybe um, it's a financial reserve so that you know you can always provide for your family. Maybe it's a reserve of alcohol uh, stored in your fridge so at the end of each day you can grab one to numb the disappointment of unmet vocational expectations. Maybe, maybe that's your reserve. Maybe it's a reserve of canned food, long life milk, bottled water, just in case of a natural disaster. Maybe it's a reserve of distraction. You're putting on the TV screen as soon as you get home so you can avoid having that conversation with your spouse that you don't want to have. Maybe it's looking at your cell phone so you don't have to talk to that friend because you don't have any intrinsic value in your life so you feel insecure about relating to people so every time you sit down, you just get your phone out to distract yourself. Maybe that's your reserve. We often live with reserves to get us through, right? Like a swimmer, if I can get us a short breath, I can put my head back down and power on through again. And we consider living with reserves to be wise, right? It's really wise, like the financial one makes a lot of sense, like live with a financial reserve so that you can get your family through. And that is wise, but, and I agree, like that is wise, but I also believe that wisdom is wise until it removes faith. Wisdom is wise until, it, wise until it removes faith. I believe true wisdom is faith inclusive. Otherwise, we live wisely in order to not need Jesus, and that does not sound wise at all. If your wisdom is leading you to not need Jesus, I think you should look at your wisdom again. <laughs> I don't know if that's wise. You see, when you live with a reserve, just putting your head down is always an option. It's always an option. Gritting your teeth and pushing through. If you have that reserve, it's always an option. Man, if I just get my hands around that, that bottle of beer, if I can just get my hands around a holiday, if I can just book that next thing and I'm gonna get through, right? But I think a trained swimmer may die from monotony before exhaustion. They just get so bored with putting their head down and they lose their desire to swim. The back and forth begins to lack purpose. Like Michael Phelps, dude's the best in the business, yet he found a, he had no purpose in there. Didn't know who he was in the pool, didn't know who he was outside of the pool. Really proficient at doing the day in, day out, but he didn't know his purpose. I think sometimes we're drowning from a lack of hope, from disappointment more than from exhaustion. Always like, man, I'm just so tired, I need that holiday. But really it's the disappointment that's been tapping away, not, not that lack of sleep. We're drowning because putting your head down isn't a solution. It's a coping mechanism, not a life-giving method. Because living on a reserve only achieves an elongated sense of monotony. The reserve just allows us to keep swimming, but we don't even really enjoy the lane we're swimming in. Is anyone tonight who's just like, man, why am I doing this thing day after day? There's little moments of joy, but man, 
I remember a scripture, John 10, 10, that says He came to give me life and life to the fullness. Why am I living for five holidays a year when there's so much more? Have you considered? Have you considered that Jesus' first miracle, the miracle of water to wine, happened when they ran out? Happened when they ran out. There was nothing in reserve. I recently read something from Pastor Russell, Russell Evans on honour. Some people just think of this as like, oh, cool, miracle God, water the wine. But what Jesus was doing is replacing a situation that would have brought great dishonour on this family. And He said, no, I'm gonna honour this situation. I'm gonna provide a miracle so that these, this bridegroom's honoured. And it led to a, a, even greater honour because it was like, man, didn't just bring out the worst wine. He brought out the best wine last. Best wine last. Things happen that are great. Great things happen when we run out. Likewise, Jesus caught Peter because there was no other means that would stop him drowning. I don't know if they had swimming lessons back then, so I'm not backing Peter swimming. But he caught him to stop him from drowning. There was no safety net, no reserve. He probably got far enough away from the boat and was like, ah, I can't go back anywhere. Probably choppy. So Jesus come and catches him because there's no safety net, no reserve. You see, when there's no reserve, there's really only one option. Only one option, and that option is to stick your hand in the air and yell, help. Save me. Help me. I ain't got this. I'm, the water's above my head right now. I need your help. And that lifeguard, <laughs> that overly qualified guard jumps to life, excited to be utilized. Yes, I've trained my whole life for this. And he saves your life redeems your situation and breaks your spirit from that sense of monotony. Wow, Jesus is the lifeguard who sat on the sideline of your every lap. Your every lap, He was there. Every race, every moment you looked tired, every moment you looked without purpose, every moment you were without hope, every moment you just relied on your reserve, every moment you went through the external routine with nothing but hurt and depression inside, every time you got in the lane with disappointment weighing you down, Jesus was the lifeguard who sat there waiting to be called upon. And each and every time, <laughs> He's just waiting waiting for you to tap into his life-saving skill set, cry out for help and be saved. But too often, we just tilted our head back up, took another small breath, created a small reserve of oxygen and put our head back down into monotony, back down into disappointment, back into hurt, back into depression, back into hopelessness. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. No. No, stop swimming. Stop swimming. Stop maintaining the illusion that it's all good and start failing. Be like, that sounds weird, man. You need to start failing. You need to start failing because your surrender, your failure has the greatest potential to meet Jesus. Like Peter, Jesus will rescue you before your head goes under. You can stop pushing through and let Jesus carry you through. Bill Johnson on, well, action. let's mention one of my favourite people, Pastor Raylene. He's <laughs> one of my favourite people. One day, um, God was just talking to me while I was in the office and I just needed something of encouragement. And Raylene walks in and goes, Matt, I've bought a book for you. 
<laughs> and it was the encouragement I needed. Um, and it was a devotional from uh, Bill Johnson on prayer, faith, hope, love. is a phenomenal thing. And uh, it really spoke to my life, Raylene. So thank you so much. Uh, and I want to share something from that book tonight that has shifted my whole thinking. So Bill Johnson, pastor of Bethel Church in the US, said a phrase that changed my life. And this phrase is, faith comes not in our strive, but through our surrender. That's so simple, but I've spent 22 years of my Christian life saying, I need more faith. I need more faith. How do I get more faith? I need to believe more. I need to do more. But faith does not come in my strive. It comes in my surrender. It comes in my surrender. And I don't need to swim harder, try harder, believe more. All I need to do is trust what God has said. <laughs> That's really hard to do. C.S. Lewis says, there's no point in saying uh, that you trust someone if you would not take their advice. Who's read their Bible lately and thought, that Scripture doesn't apply to me. But I trust you, Jesus. My life's in your hands. If we're going to trust someone, we're going to trust their advice. And trusting's really hard. So you see, to trust them, I'm going to have to surrender the worldly logic I know. Because here in heaven sometimes doesn't line up. But heaven's more true than here. I'm going to have to surrender the worldly logic I know. I'm going to have to surrender what the circumstance is saying. Man, that's hard. It's so much easier to be like, this is the circumstance, how bad my life is, and you tell all your problems to God, right? But I'm going to have to surrender what my circumstance is saying. And I'm going to have to surrender what the past 30 years have said. And like Mary, I'm going to have to call Jesus out. <laughs> like Peter, I'm going to have to get out of the boat, walk on the water, and know that if Jesus caught Peter before his head went under, he'll catch me too. He'll catch me too. Surrender's a lot harder than strive, I've learned. Because <laughs> getting your head around what Jesus is saying is like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I heard another great thing this week. I heard so many great things lately. Pastor Russell Evans as well, reading The Honor Key. Oh, it's a book by Pastor Russell Evans. Like, Abby's telling me to shut up because I just want to tell her everything. She's like, stop reading me the book. <laughs> such a good book and he, he talks about how when, um, when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he taught them the prayer Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Another word for hallowed in our context is honour, right? We understand honour a bit more so when we honour the name of Jesus, that's our first step. Our Father out in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's so powerful because Jesus would not teach us to pray something that he could not release. If, he's, if He tells us to pray, pray that my kingdom would come. Pray that heaven would come to earth. He's not there to mock you. He's not saying, hey, pray this, and this will never happen. Jesus taught us to pray for it because He knew His Father wanted to release it. He knew His Father wanted to release it. And that's what surrender is. Going, I don't get this situation. I don't understand the circumstance. Nothing's lining up right now, but I surrender to what you're saying, putting my hand up, yelling help, because I ain't got no solutions here. Jesus is the lifeguard, fully qualified, but so often underutilized. <laughs> I wonder if we could call on Jesus tonight. I don't know. This word really spoken to my life. <laughs> because so often I can wake up, go through the motions, listen to the taunts of the enemy, and just go back to sleep and do it all again the next day. And I can lack purpose and I just feel tonight like we've got a little bit of time. 
I want to open the altar up because I know God wants to jump to life, right? If, G- if we had a lifeguard chair here, um, Jesus is definitely sitting in it right now because it says in Scriptures with two or more gather together, there I am also. So Jesus is in his lifeguard chair. <laughs> um, and I want to open up the altar tonight because every life, my life, there's so many times I could respond to this where, where Jesus wants to break you out of something. He wants to put joy in you, wants to put peace in you, wants to break you out of that, that place where you feel stuck, wants to break you out of that, that uh, depression, out of that uh, feeling of insignificance, out of all those feelings, those laps that you just do day in, day out. And I, I really believe He wants to break you out of it. Um, so I want to open the altar up we'll and get the team back up. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.